our perception of reality. What we had counted on, trusted in, taken for granted as solid or even permanent, unshakable, is suddenly shaken apart and often never the same again. Life brings earthquake-like experiences for all of us, whether we want them or not. We cannot control that. But to some degree, what we can and must control is our reaction to them. Sometimes everything we thought we knew about God, about Jesus, and even about what's important or impressive in life gets shaken. Might there be some hidden value, some hidden treasure to be gained from these oh-so-uncomfortable experiences? The answer is yes. Well, this is a special Sunday, baptismal Sunday. And uh, yeah, yes. And um, perhaps you have never read that portion of scripture where the three commandments of baptism are given. Uh, but I can quote them. You know, I've had to do this so many times. The first one is this. Thou shalt not tighten thy abs up when Pastor Randy gets you at 45 degrees and resist him. Thou shalt not. For if thou shalt, he shall force you down. <laughs> I've actually had that happen. Um, thou shalt not open thine mouth nor thy nostrils when thy head toucheth the back of the water. <laughs> For thou shalt drown, surely. <laughs> thou shalt not, when thy cometh up out of the water, whip thine head like a bullwhip. No, thou shalt not. For thou shalt make Pastor Randy very wet and he shall be dismayed. <laughs> uh, earthquake shakings. We've looked at a series of portions of Scripture where there are earthquakes, but there are things occurring in people's lives that sort of shake the foundations. Likewise today, we're going to see that someone comes to grips for the first time in his life with who Jesus of Nazareth, the historical man, Jesus of Nazareth, who he actually was. And it was connected to an earthquake, both physiologically, seismologically, as well as in his own heart and life. Be an interesting thing. You get uh, 100 random people, get them into a room, and ask them, tell me who you think Jesus is. What, what is Jesus' identity? And, you know, we can all kind of predict. We'd hear all kind of things. Well, I think he was a good man. I think he was a, a holy teacher. I think he was a prophet. Uh, some would say, I think he was a revolutionary. He was trying to introduce, you know, a whole new way of living and so forth, uh, some sort of a Marxism so that kind of a thing. Others would say, well, you know, he, he's the son of the living God, but they wouldn't be real sure what that means and so forth. Now, we're going to have some people, and if I, if I know the numbers right, uh, I think there are 40 people today that are being baptized. And these people, all of them that are being baptized, knowingly or unknowingly, uh, if their baptism is more, I'm, just, I'm not trying to be a reverend, I'm not trying to be a spoil sport. If their baptism is more today than just getting wet in this tank. How many of you know you can be baptized and all you got was wet in the tank? How many know that? Some of you probably remember, you were swept up in, you know, a frenzy of some sort as a kid. Maybe your 
uh, brothers and sisters or everybody else in your youth group was getting baptized. So you, you got baptized too, and then you got to be about 35 years old, and you realize, you know, I didn't even know what I was doing. I just got... So, but for those that get into this tank today because they have had a spiritual interaction with the living God, the creator of the universe, what they are saying is at some point in their life, the identity of Jesus shook the foundations of their life to the point that it doesn't matter what anybody else on this planet does, Jesus has so won their trust, their faith, their confidence, their reliance, that they are going to follow him fully, and they're going to follow him for the rest of their life, even if nobody else does. And they are going into this water, and they are saying that the old person that I used to be, the old person that just did whatever they wanted, when I wanted, how I wanted, that old person has now been, spiritually speaking, put to death because I used to trust myself supremely and do whatever in the heck I wanted to. That's what the old Randy was like. But a new Randy came up out of that water, a Randy that had put their trust in Christ instead of in myself. And so these people are saying... I'm no longer going to be that person that does whatever they want, how they want, when they want. I am one that's going to follow Jesus. I'm going to do what he wants. I'm going to learn his will, his ways, his word, and I'm going to follow him. And the reason I'm going to follow him is not because I'm afraid of him, not because I want a reward from him. I'm going to follow him because everybody's following somebody. And I can't find anybody better to follow than Jesus. He's intelligent enough to create this universe and every atom in it. He is loving enough to sacrificially die for me when I didn't even care about him at all. And these folks are saying, I trust him. He's won my heart, and I'm going to follow him fully, and I'm going to follow him freely, and I'm going to follow him forever. All that, all that is symbolically uh, reiterated to each and every one of us as we watch and as we witness. Curious, how many out there, you, you guys, have been baptized? Okay, almost everyone. All right. We're going to meet a guy today that for the first time in his life comes to grips with the identity of Jesus. Now, he's what we would call a hard case, a hard person to reach. Uh, He's a warrior. He's a Roman centurion. The New Testament has a lot to say about Roman centurions. They're, They're actually mentioned 24 different times in the New Testament. You might recall some of these guys were spectacular in their awareness of the kind of respect that Jesus should have. Remember the one centurion in Matthew 8? His servant gets sick, and he he thinks the servant's going to die, so he sends word to Jesus, and Jesus says he's going to come and heal the servant, but this centurion, by the way, a centurion was a guy that he oversaw a hundred soldiers. This centurion sends message to Jesus. He says, you know, Lord, don't even, don't even bother yourself to come to my house. I am not worthy to have you under my roof. Just say the word, and I know my servant will be here. I, I, I know what it's like to have to be in authority over people. I tell this one, go here. He goes there. That one, go there. And Jesus says to the Jews that are around him, he says, wow, I have never found such faith, such trust as this in all of Israel. This, these Roman centurions were very interesting guys. You go to Acts chapter 10 and you meet this Roman centurion named Cornelius. How many have read Acts chapter 10 before? You know about Cornelius. Cornelius is this guy, he's already seeking God. He's offering money to build a Jewish synagogue and so forth. And so the Lord tells Peter in a vision, go to this guy's house. Go to this Roman centurion, this Gentile's house, and tell him the full truth about God as he's revealed himself in Jesus. 
And Peter didn't even want to go, <laughs> but the Lord finally convinced him, and he goes. And Cornelius and his whole household are gathered, and they immediately put their trust in Christ. So centurions are, are interesting individuals. Now, now let's get a little historical thing. Centurion, like I already said, they're uh, a leader of 100 Roman soldiers. You have to know a little bit of Roman Empire. Th this was a, a massive, brutal, military-led empire. Um, the Roman army was a very sophisticated killing machine. And a Roman centurion typically was a guy that had been serving for 10 to 15 years before he was honored with the position of being a centurion. So he's been in battle after battle after battle. By the way, they did hundreds and thousands of crucifixions. If you crossed the line in the Roman Empire, there was no tolerance. You were crucified. So this individual we're going to meet, he is someone that understands death up close. He has seen it likely hundreds, if not thousands of times. He has watched men die. He has watched men been crucified. He has crucified people before and watched their reactions. And he's a, he's a real master when it comes to this subject of brutality, control, violence, and death. This is the individual we're going to meet. Now, I'm going to put together a few portions of Scripture here to get us started, and I try to put it where it would be as conversational and as chronological as could be. But where I'm taking you now is to the crucifixion of Jesus. This is the centurion that crucified Jesus or that partook of it or oversaw the crucifixion of Jesus. Let's pick up reading. Matthew 27, 45, it says, From noon... Until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. Jesus is on the cross. All of a sudden, sun goes dark. It, it was not a normative thing. Everybody there knew something very unusual was happening. Midday, it goes dark. It goes on. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then Jesus says, It is finished. Next. With that, he bowed his head, and what does it say? He gave up his spirit. Jesus said earlier, he said, nobody can take my life from me. In John chapter 10, he says, no, nobody can take my life from me. He says, I'm going to lay my life down, and I'm going to take it up again, talking about his resurrection. But nobody can take it from me. Jesus let his spirit go. He was under full control even as he appeared to be broken, brutalized, dying on the cross. We'll fill in a little bit more of that. But he... He lets his spirit go. When the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he what? How he died. Now, mind you, this guy's watched hundreds if not thousands of people die up close. It says when he saw the way Jesus died. Now I'm going to fill in some blanks in a minute on that. When he saw how he died, second thing that he observed, the earthquake, an earthquake occurred at the death of Jesus. So powerful was this earthquake that in the temple, this extraordinarily thick curtain was ripped from the top down, torn in two, symbolizing that the way into the very presence of God was now open because Jesus on the cross reveals who God really is and what he's really like. So it was the way that he died. It was the earthquake, and all that had happened, that's the part I'm going to fill in. This centurion watched from the time that Jesus was arrested and he was a participant in what they did to Jesus and so forth. And he's observing Jesus through these stages leading up to his death. And all that had happened, 
said surely this man was what son of God so here's this guy who for all of his life previous to that day he could have cared less about who Jesus was listen folks there's almost 8 billion people alive on our planet today and the vast majority of them live their lives just as though Jesus never lived, Jesus never came, Jesus never died, Jesus never rose again. The vast majority of the best and the brightest people, the movers and the shakers, the celebrities and, and everything in between, pretty much live their lives just like Jesus is inconsequential, insignificant. Maybe he was a historical figure, maybe not. By the way, no credible historian would dare say that Jesus was not a real historical figure. It's only people that don't know how much they don't know that say foolish things and make YouTube videos <laughs> saying those things. But no credible historian would say that Jesus of Nazareth was not a real person. But they still pretty much live as though he's inconsequential. He's insignificant. He's not important. He, d he doesn't really matter. Now, let's go to these baptismal folks. Now, some of them were probably no doubt brought up in Christian homes, and from their earliest years, Jesus was somebody significant, important, consequential to them. But some of them could have been like me. I mean, up until age 23, Jesus didn't matter to me at all. You know, I mean, it was kind of like a cuss word. That was pretty much it. And then something happened. I, I, I got this glimpse into his identity, maybe some of them, and they started to see Jesus differently. This Roman centurion, he could have cared less about Jesus. Jesus didn't matter to him. And then all of a sudden, because of all that had gone on that day, and particularly the, the way this man died, and all the phenomenon attached to the death, this Roman centurion knew this was no ordinary man. He knew that the Jews were crucifying him out of envy he knew that, that Jesus had claimed to be God the son had claimed to be the Jewish Messiah he was not a fool the Romans all knew about the messianic expectation of the Jews the Jews were expecting a military Messiah somebody that was going to come overthrow Rome make Israel the capital of the world Jerusalem the capital of all the nations and so they were looking for a Messiah who with supernatural miraculous power would be a military leader a conqueror and elevate Israel and the Romans watch this very carefully because they were not going to go away without a fight and so this centurion would have known a lot he would have known a lot about the Jewish Messiah and yet Jesus didn't do any of the things that the Jews would have wanted and expected the Jewish Messiah to do so he comes to this conclusion because of the, the earthquake and because of all the other phenomenon and, and the, the darkness 12 to 3 but mostly it was watching Jesus. So let's, let's go back. Let, let me unpack the in-between when it says that all that had happened. Well, you know the story. You know, they arrest Jesus in the garden, and Jesus first says, you know, I'm he, and the soldiers fall to the ground, but Jesus offers himself to them. Peter, <laughs> Peter happens to have a sword, and he lops off the ear of one of the guys that were attempting to arrest Jesus, a guy named Malchus. How many of you know when you have a sword and you lop somebody's ear off, you're not aiming for their ear, right? <laughs> That's a hard target. The head, the neck is a lot easier of a target. Jesus, if you've read the story, <laughs> it's almost comedic. 
he, he picks this guy's ear up and puts it back on and heals him. And he tells Peter, no, 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 no swords, Peter, no swords. And the disciples panic. They, they run. Jesus says, don't, don't hurt them. You want me, you got me. And then the brutality starts. Ultimately, he ends up with a bunch of Roman soldiers in this centurion. They strip his clothes. They mock him. They make fun of him. They slam a crown of thorns on his head. They slap a staff upside his head multiple times. Prior to this, they flogged him 39 times. That was 39 lashes. was typically what you did for someone that was going to be crucified. They were almost dead before they got to the cross. They had done all that. They, uh, they spit on him. They yanked the whiskers out of his face. It, it was just a brutal, brutal thing that they did. And the centurion was there watching it all. Now, here's what this centurion knew. He knew that a lot of men, a lot of people, when they were going through this crucifixion process, because you were always usually whipped 39 times in advance, you were beaten around. He knew that lots of people begged for their life, and they begged for mercy, and they pleaded, please, please, don't hit me anymore, don't whip me anymore. They, they knew this. This centurion knew this, and he knew that there's no indication that Jesus ever said a word let me go further what all happened so they nail him finally to the cross they get him on the cross and once again this centurion would have known many people beg and plead please please my life don't do this don't do Jesus never says a word no resistance Jesus gets on the cross looks down from the cross at the soldiers at the centurion the very ones that had brutally beaten him mocked him put nails in his hands and feet and instead of doing what a lot of crucified criminals did which was to hurl curses when they know it was no hope for anything else that they were not going to get mercy now they cursed their crucifiers and they swore and they threatened and they yelled and they screamed Jesus looks down and he says Father forgive them they don't know what they're doing the centurion took all this in he sees Jesus conversing there's two thieves one on each side one thief is mocking Jesus oh you're the Christ well get down from the cross and take us with you while you're at it the other thief rebukes him and he says you know we deserve to be up here he doesn't deserve to be up here and he looks at Jesus he says Lord Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And, and Jesus has the presence of mind after going through all this agony to say to him, this day you'll be with me in paradise. So he forgives and assures a crucified thief beside him while he himself is in physical agony. It, it, gets, it goes on. The religious leaders, they, they swirl around the cross and they mock him and they make fun of him and they say, you're the Messiah, come down on the cross, you know, do, come off of the cross, do, do something, show us your power. Jesus doesn't respond to them at all. Earlier before this, when he first went to Pilate, he assures Pilate, he says, Pilate, he says, yes, I am a king, I'm the king of the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. I, I just want to share something with some of you. you. Some of you, you really need to hear this above everything else you're going to hear in this message. Jesus had absolutely no interest in the politics of his day back in the first century. But that's not what you need to hear. You need to hear that Jesus still doesn't have any interest in the politics of today. And some of us as Christians are so consumed with politics 
that we want to we want to mold and shape Jesus around our political views. We want to fight with other people. We want to fight even with our fellow Christians over political views. You say, Randy, are we not to have political views? No, no, I have very strong political views. But you're my brother and sister in Christ, and I will never fight you or argue with you about politics. Politics should never separate Christians. Yeah, thank you. While I'm drifting, nor, sh nor should race. Nor should race. Yeah. So this centurion's taken all this in. And he's got to be thinking to himself, I've never, I've never seen anyone behave this way. And then and, and, and pray for us. But I don't think that was it. If it weren't for the earthquake, if it weren't for the darkening of the sun, if it weren't for the obvious supernatural support that this man, Jesus, had on the cross, I don't think the centurion would have been that impressed. He would have been, he would have been somewhat, but not as. He knew this was a supernatural occurrence. He knew that this one on the cross was who he finally claims he was, the Son of God. Now, what did that mean to a Roman? here's one thing it would have meant it would have been as if this centurion and his fellow soldiers had accidentally grabbed a young man beaten them flogged them crucified them only to find out that the young man they grabbed Jesus was about 33 was the emperor's son that's what would have went off in that guy's head when he said he's the son of God it was like oh no because you see the emperor's in those biblical days those Roman emperors they were lions man when they roared human beings trembled they were iron-fisted dictators they let no one bring dishonor discomfort disrespect to them if you did you paid a severe price likely your life and torture before it ended so in this this centurion's mind it's like I, I know who he is now I know the kind of power he had. Why didn't he use it? Why didn't he use it? The centurion would have thinking, everyone that I know that's in power, you are going to taste their power if you do anything to make them uncomfortable. That's the way the world was. That's the way the Roman Empire was. That's still the way the world is. Those in control, they expect others to make them comfortable, submit to them, serve them. They are not going to ever be made uncomfortable for the sake of others. The more powerful, the, the Romans thought hierarchically, the more powerful you are, the more untouchable you are, and if your will is not done, somebody's going to suffer. And he's putting all this together and he's like, oh my goodness, what does this mean? If we've killed the true son of the creator of the universe who actually turns out to be the creator of the universe, what does that mean? But then his second question, his second set of questions. Why, why did he let us do it? He could have killed us. He could have he stopped our hearts instantly. Why? Why did he just take all of that I, the centurion had to be saying I wouldn't have taken that if I had the power there's no way no emperor would take that why did he do this and, and that prayer maybe it haunted him father forgive them they don't know what they're doing and that centurion was probably thinking I didn't I didn't I didn't know what I was doing I didn't know who he was but why didn't he stop us 
all, all this would have been churning around, churning around in him. This man came to the conclusion that this crucified felon was indeed the Son of God, the revealer of God, the creator of the universe, based on these things. It was based on what Jesus did and what Jesus didn't do. Let, let, let me just kind of share this with you. Consider the awakening of the centurion of Jesus' identity. Let's go past that. What Jesus did not do was part of it. Share a verse with you from 1 Peter. Speaking of Jesus, it says, He committed no what? A lot of people, when they were crucified, they committed a whole lot of sin. They wouldn't have been up on that cross. They knew that Jesus was there just because the Jews didn't agree with his religious views. They also knew that he didn't sin from the cross. He didn't yell. He didn't scream. He didn't curse people and so forth. He did no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, the Jewish leaders mocked him when he was on the cross, and the Romans made fun of him. They blindfolded him at one point, punched him, and said, You're a, you're a prophet. Prophesy who just punched you. And Jesus did not respond. He did not retaliate. For a Roman warrior, this was a big deal. Once he knew he could have retaliated. He did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no, what does it say? Threats. He didn't threaten them. He didn't say, you think you're in control? Boom, one heart attack. You think you're in control? Another heart attack. How many of you know, be honest, if you had all the power and authority that Jesus had and somebody's whipping up on you, how many would say it'd be pretty tempting not to stop their heart? <laughs> okay? But Jesus was dying for a purpose, for a plan. There was principle. He was demonstrating what was impossible for the creator of the universe to demonstrate the sacrificial love that always governed the use of his power. Let me repeat it again. He was demonstrating, he was revealing the sacrificial love that always governed his use of power. We're used to to people that don't use power well. Jesus is showing that the creator of the universe, the controller of the universe, the sovereign of the universe, the emperor of the universe, the king of kings, the lord of lords, that he is the safest, most beautiful person in the universe because none of us uses power very well, even the tiniest fragments of it. But his is always governed by sacrificial love. And so he would never have gotten down off that cross because he's trying to remove the slander that Satan had made about God, that God was a, a power monger, that he wants everybody doing obeisance to him. He wants everybody bowing down, that he's depriving us of good experiences in life. Jesus was destroying that satanic slander once and for all. He was showing, this is who I am. This is how much I love you. This is how much you can trust me. I will even die spit on me mock me i will not strike you i'm here to rescue you if i can if he can so here's what he did not do instead he entrusted himself to him who judges justly so the centurion was struck by what jesus did not do he was also struck by what jesus did what did he do philippians 2 in the new testament First, it talks to we that have put our trust in Christ and are his followers. It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, Messiah Jesus. That word Christ means Messiah. Who, get this, who being in very nature 
what? Some of you, you're unclear about this, and I know it, I know it. We have trouble figuring all this stuff out. Let me make it very, very clear. Jesus was, is, always will be God. He is co-equal and co-eternal with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. You say, Randy, you're confusing me now, man. You said it's one God, and now, now you got three of them on the table. I know it's confusing. Our horsepower is not all released yet. You know, when we get our resurrection bodies, God will turn on all the lights and we'll go, oh, now I understand how three can be one. They are distinct. They converse with one another. Father talks to Son. Son talks to Father. Spirit talks to both of them. They are not three gods. They are one God. They are one in essence, in power, in, in uh, philosophy, outlook, action, and so forth. Nevertheless, who being in very nature God, Jesus is, was, always will be God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his what? To his own advantage. He could have defended himself. He could have stopped the whole thing instantly. That's where it gets personal. You guys have heard me use this illustration before, and I'm using it again. One of the scariest moments in any human being's life <laughs> is that first time you find you have feelings for someone, you know. You might be 12, 13, I don't know. But you have feelings for someone, and you're scared to let them know because you don't know if they're going to like you back. You know what I mean? We used to say this thing like, I, 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 don't, I don't just like you, I like you, like you. You know what I mean? And, and usually in our day, because we were really chicken-hearted, so we get somebody to call the girl, and you'd be on the other end of the line. Tell her, tell her. I'm listening. <laughs> well, Randy likes you. She knew what that meant. She knew what it meant like a friend. It meant like Randy's thinks you're attractive he's got affection for you and randy wants to go steady how many remember that <laughs> and so you wait you wait man your your heart is all hung out you you have you have revealed how vulnerable how much you want, how, how much you want this other person to like you like you and then you hear those words well at least i did more than once <laughs> well I like him as a friend ah. Ah. <laughs> right it's not what you want to hear here's my point once you make yourself your feelings your affection your love for someone entirely known you have made yourself extraordinarily vulnerable because you have nothing else to offer that's it that's it it's done when that person says, you know, I like him as a friend, but I'd never like him or like him, you know it's over. Listen to me. I'm going somewhere with this. When Jesus, when God was revealing his affections, his goodwill for each and every one of us personally, he did it through Jesus on that cross. It's God saying, I love you so intensely I, I so want what's best for you I know what's best I want what's best I so want it I, I got to have you trust me though I can't give you the life that you were designed to experience unless you trust me and learn my ways learn my will follow my will follow my ways 
but this is how I'll, I'll just, you can reject me you can make fun of me you can walk away from me you can say thanks but no thanks but here it is I'm, I'm going to shamefully humiliate myself humble myself to let you know this is how much you mean to me I know I know a lot of you it isn't going to matter to you, to you at all it's not going to matter but that's how much it matters to me I'll take through this is what's happening here who being in, in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage listen to what it says it goes on rather he made himself nothing taking the very nature of a what of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man he did what humbled himself and here again the centurion's like man if you have power you don't humble yourself everybody else you humble them but now he sees the sovereign of the universe humbling himself he he humbled himself by becoming obedient even to death on a cross and the why behind it all though it's a love story it's a love story it's it's the creator of the universe who made image-bearing beings beings that wear his image we have mind will emotions uh you know will just like the creator we have the capacity to experience life the the love and the joy of life the same way the creator does with full ability to reject him and he knows it and he says i'll i'll shame myself i'll humble myself in throwing myself at you to say this is how much i love you i just hope i just hope some of you will trust me so i can prove to you that you'll only find life the life you've always wanted when you're rightly connected with me trust trusting me learning my ways learning my will learning the laws of your being learning to live according to your design then you'll have the life you've always been searching for wanting now when these folks over here you didn't know you were preaching preaching this whole message see when they go into this water they're preaching the ones that get more than wet are preaching <laughs> they're saying I have been one the creator of the universe has won my heart <laughs> he's won my trust I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow him I'm going to follow him fully I'm going to follow him freely I'm going to follow him forever I'm going to learn his ways I'm going to learn his will I don't just like him I want to be like him and I'm going to pursue growing and developing to be like him for the rest of my days and I want to be one that, that makes known his goodness to as many other people as I can I want to give to them what he's given to me they're saying all this has happened to varying degrees when they go into this water come back up as a new person now Randall, are you saying that, that, that they're not a new person until they get in water no man the water is just water <laughs> I'm saying all this is a spiritual thing that has already happened in them those that have really put their trust in Christ and become his follower the water is just their testimony that their old self has now gone and there's a new a new self that's going to live as a follower of Christ how many of you know that that's what it means to be a Christian Je Jesus said when he rose from the grave he said to his followers in Matthew 28 uh, 18 through 20 he said he said go into all the world and make Christians is that right it's not right is it no no yes indeed he said go into all the world and make disciples 
disciples. I'll come back. And he said, once you make somebody a disciple, he said, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then don't stop there, he said. He said, then teach them to obey everything that I've commanded. Why? Because that, that's the laws of our being. That's the way we're designed to live. That's the way we find the fullness of life. So it's make a disciple. Well, Randy, what's it? I thought we, we were Christians. Well, the book of Acts says that the disciples, Acts eleven twenty six. 26, it says that the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. You, you mean you, you got to be a disciple to be a Christian, Randy? Yes. But, 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 but Randy, I thought you could be saved and not be a disciple no I don't know what Bible you're reading no 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 okay Randy what, what's a disciple well a disciple is someone that simply puts their trust in Christ in a world where everybody's following somebody they say he's won my trust and I'm going to follow him and I want to learn his ways and his will and I want them from henceforth to shape me to shape my lifestyle when Jesus says stop something even though I've been doing it for a long time and I might get some pleasure out of it I'm going to stop it because I trust him more than I trust me when Jesus says I want you to learn something and start doing something and cultivate a certain set of attitudes practices and so forth I'm going to do it because I trust him more than I trust me and not only am I going to do that as a disciple, every day of my life, I'm going to try to grow to be more like him. I've seen something in him that just electrifies everything in me, and I want, unapologetically, I want to be like him. That's what it means to be a disciple. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be saved using church terminology it's biblical terminology too I hope that's crystal clear to all of you and I hope it's really clear to you guys there's no magic in this water in fact I saw some stuff floating around in it earlier <laughs> we tried to sift it out but I, I can't make any guarantees <laughs> uh, alright let me go on to the second part of this message consider the awakening of others the centurion awoke but consider the awakening of others to Jesus identity share a verse with you there was a portion in Jesus ministry toward the end of his three and a half year ministry where he just stopped his followers in their tracks and he asked this question who do you say that I am Simon Peter answered you are the Messiah or the Christ the son of the living God Jesus replied blessed are you Simon son of Jonah for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood but by who my father in heaven he's saying there's a spiritual revelation Peter he's saying because you you really are a worshiper of the father you recognized him in me is what he was really saying so it's a spiritual revelation let me share something that I, I think is really important to understand Jesus identity comes by way of a revelation that is personally communicated in the current language of our soul you probably didn't know your soul has a language but you do your soul does the centurion's soul language was war it was hierarchical it, it was the context of soldier world and terminology and that's the things that grabbed his attention now i want you to think back some of you that that you know you can think back before you were a follower of christ and what condition you were in when you came to Christ I know that some of us probably would have described ourselves Randy I, I was just so lonely 
I was so lonely. So the language of your soul was loneliness. And Jesus said, I'll never leave you and never forsake you. I love you with everlasting love. Some of you, it was the language of guilt and shame. You, you had some things that you had done that you had been participants in that just would not go away you tried to live normal you tried to smile wide you tried to you know just act like nothing was going on but boy every time you got alone with yourself you didn't want to be alone with yourself you want to stay distracted because the guilt and the shame that you felt was slowly like acid just eating you up inside destroying any any path possibility of joy in your life and you came to Christ because you desperately wanted your guilt resolved your sin forgiven and your shame cast away forever that was the language of your soul some of us might have come to Jesus because the language of your soul was man there's got to be more to life than this I mean I, I, I get up I go to work I come home I go to sleep and, and you say there's got to be a reason there's got to be a purpose there's got to be meaning so the language of your soul was I want meaning I want to know what life is about that was part, part of what mine was so we all have these languages of our soul and Jesus, God will reveal, Jesus will reveal God to us in the language usually of our soul. Okay, just like he did to the centurion. Just like he did to Peter. So this is an important understanding because it could be that some of us are still in that spiritual journey process where we have not yet actually uh, become followers of Christ have not yet really trusted in him so he's going to try to communicate with you in the language of your soul let me add to this statement such revelation either positively develops us or negatively dehumanizes us you're like right whoa, 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 Randy. What, what are you trying to say here the centurion said surely this was the son of God so he knew Jesus' identity. Let me ask you, was the centurion a Christian? How many say yes, he was a Christian? Let me see your hands. Man, you guys are well taught. <laughs> you know what? I could have asked that question in a lot of other churches. Most of the hands would have went up. We don't know. Just because he knew Jesus' identity it didn't mean that he had made the decision to put his trust in Jesus, be his disciple, be his follower. You guys know this. You can know all the facts about Jesus. You can know the whole Bible, inside out, back and forth. Doesn't mean that you're going to utilize your will and say, in a world where everybody's following somebody, I'm going to put my trust in Christ and I'm going to follow him. So, so we, don't, we don't know the impact. Such revelation, once we know the truth about God as it's revealed in Jesus, such revelation either positively develops us, meaning it wins our trust and we become Jesus' follower, or negatively dehumanizes us. What do you mean dehumanizes us, Randy? <laughs> if you want to know what a healthy, fully human, fully alive human is supposed to look like, you have to look at Jesus. That's what a fully healthy, fully alive human being, mature, is supposed to look like, like Jesus. And so when I start moving away from Jesus, knowingly or unknowingly, and I start living contrary to the will and the design of God, knowingly or unknowingly, I'm becoming a little less human and a little less alive, whether I know it or not. You see, we, we don't lose our soul in judgment day. We lose our soul in little small chunks every day. You understand what I'm saying? 
It's when we knowingly or unknowingly live discordant with our designer's design. And so once we know who Jesus is, that he's our creator, he's our designer, he's the lover of our soul, if we don't move toward him, if we say, you know, all things considered, man, I, I just, that's cool for you. If that floats your boat, I'm okay with you doing your Jesus thing. But, you know, I'm just, that's not me. I'm just not interested. You will start to digress, and you will start to become something that is less and less fully human and less and less alive. You won't even know it's happening because you're being desensitized as it happens. It is deadly. It is dangerous. Let me show you a verse that expresses this. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, and it's, in the book of Hebrews, you've got to understand the context. The book of Hebrews is about people that had identified as followers of Christ, but the temple was still standing. They were confused while the temple was still standing, and they were ready to go back, to stop following Jesus, go back into Judaism. And the whole book of Hebrews is about, no, 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 God's revealed himself in Jesus. This is the new covenant, the New Testament. There's no other way. There's nothing more God can give. It's like that girlfriend thing I was saying. You know, here I am. I'm all yours if you want me. And she says, I don't want you. <laughs> you have nothing else. You know, you're out of ammunition. Some people, the book of Hebrews says, are like land that gets plenty of rain and produces a good crop for those who farm it. That kind of land has God's blessing. I know this sounds crazy to you. I'm, I'm unpacking. Next part. But other people are like the land that grows only thorns and weeds. It is, what is the word? Worthless. And in danger of being cursed by God, it'll be destroyed by fire. Now, you've got to read the context of verses go before, the verses go after. Always when you read your Bible, do that. I don't have the time to do that today. But it is talking about people's reaction to, to Christ, to the message of Christ. And it's saying that you can get a crowd like this, and everybody gets the same message, knows that God desperately, sacrificially loves them. But some will say, forevermore, my heart is yours. You, you've won. I'm your follower. And others will just go, huh, that's, that's, that's good for others. It's just not my thing. And it's saying they're the worthless soil. And sooner or later, it gets destroyed. We do a good job of destroying ourselves. The further we knowingly or unknowingly drift from the will of God, the way we're designed to live, the laws of our being, we, we do a real dandy job of destroying ourselves. Usually we destroy a bunch of other people along the way that get close enough to us to be impacted. So we don't know what happens to this centurion. We don't, we don't know if he becomes a follower of Christ or not. But here's what we can know. Are you? We've all heard the same message. Some of us probably a whole lot of times. But if the screens went up, perhaps we'd find, surprisingly, that some of us know the identity of Jesus, know his sacrificial love for us. But at least at this season in our life, for whatever the reason may be, we're following us. We're not following him. Because we, we trust that our life is going to be a little more exciting, a little more fun, a little more whatever we want it to be by following me, not following him. So even though I know who he is and I know what he's done and I know how much he loves me, I'm not his follower. Wouldn't it be wild if, if the screens went up and we'd see instantaneously which of us just knows the identity of Jesus 
And which of us went a step further? We just don't know his identity. We put our trust in him and became his follower. That's what it means to be a Christian. Whatever terminology you want to use, be born again, uh, be resurrected spiritually speaking. There's, there's all kinds of terminology scripture uses. So, how has knowing the identity of Jesus actually impacted you? Does it affect your daily life? Does it affect the the development of your character does it affect your value system your decisions who you are how you live how you really live because we we can we can create this spiritual compartmentalization thing in our lives where we know all the church talk and we know all the jesus talk and we can get with our with our buds and we can talk all the jesus talk but we're we're still living pretty hellish pretty contrary to the way the love of god would want it to go so maybe this is the day some of us say you know I'm not sure what that Roman centurion did but from this day on because I know the identity of Jesus and I know his goodness and I know he knows what's best wants what's best I'm going to stop fence straddling for some of us I'm going to stop faking it I'm going to stop talking Jesus talk but not walking Jesus walk how many of you know what I mean when I say that? Can I see your hands? Have you known some people that talk Jesus talk, but they don't walk Jesus walk? Have you known some? Okay. Franny, are you saying we got to be perfect? No. But we want to be. And we're moving toward that. So two things. Maybe for some of us, as these people go in, proclaiming their trust in Jesus, maybe some of you for the first time are going to go from that place of just knowing his identity to being his follower, his disciple, being a Christian. Heaven celebrates when that happens, the scripture tells us. So I hope there'll be some celebrations there. I know there'll be some celebrations about these folks that are taking their stand, testifying of their love for Christ and truth. And maybe there'll be some secret celebrations for some of you, because we can't read your hearts and minds. But you might say today, this is the day. I've been thinking about this for a long time. Today today I become his let's pray father thank you for this so extraordinary special day it, it is just amazing the way your word your truth your love gets inside of our hearts it starts to motivate us it starts to get us thinking differently feeling differently living differently being beautiful people that can help and serve and give and always have plenty more to offer and do so with joy thank you for what you give to us thank you for what you make us it's in christ's name we pray amen just stand to your feet with us yeah.